Hello and welcome back to the Guns on Pegs podcast. I am George Brown. And I'm Chris Horn. Happy New Year, Chris. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, good, George. How are you? I'm very good. It's been a while since we've done one of these. It is. I was almost feeling slightly out of practice. Last time we were doing this, I was sitting in your very country, comfy chair, drinking alcoholic and bongo and a bit of gamay. <laughs> yeah, well, in this very room. Yes, and I'm still here. haven't moved. But yeah, um, that was a really nice day. It's lovely. I, I really like the idea of getting together on a Friday evening, recording a pub. Nice dinner. You cooking, of course. I don't want to put any effort in. I'll buy the drinks. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're going to bring alcoholic and bongo again, I'm certainly not inviting you again. <laughs> I've got to say, like, it was a really, it was really nice having you and Angus and Sheldon here. But the the reason that day is going to linger in my memory is the fog. I mean, it was so thick you could cut it with a spoon. It was ridiculous, wasn't it? We've been really unlucky with fog this shooting season, as I'm kindly informed by Lysitzer, uh, who underwrites, well, they're the broker for our shoot cancellation insurance product. So that was a slightly awkward conversation. Good plug, though. Well done. Uh, it wasn't intentional. It genuinely, is, <laughs> it's cost a fortune. <laughs> uh, what about over Christmas and New Year and whatnot? Did you get out at all? I didn't. It's been absolutely manic, but just with young children. And I, as you know, di- no, I tell a lie. I got a very kind last minute duck flighting invite from a, a lovely chap nearby to me, um, actually runs the Kent GWCT sort of branch of things. Um, yeah, so we were, we were out chasing some some mallard and hoping for some teal, but didn't see any. Um, how about you? Uh, well, I, I, it sounds bad, but I've had a lot of shooting. I had <laughs> back-to-back days uh, in Norfolk and Suffolk um, the weekend after we shot together. Then we had our traditional Boxing Day armed walk. And then we had our last day of the season here at home. We'll have Beaters Day in a couple of weeks' time, but uh, our last um, you know, proper day, uh, full day on Saturday, which was the first time everything has gone more or less according to plan. It was a brilliant day. That is a proper role reversal. You always have a dig at me because I've been cheating too much. <laughs> I know, I know. And listen to yourself. <laughs> well, you see, I haven't, I haven't got babies anymore, so I've got a bit more, a bit more license. <laughs> yes, this is true. Um, but we had a mega day at yours. Uh, really good fun. Lovely family atmosphere. Exactly what it should be. So really enjoyable. Well, it was nice to have you there. Right. Enough about us, Chris. Um, would you like to introduce our guest? Our guest today, born in Lancashire, originally a city lad. He first became involved in dog training at the young age of eight, which I definitely want to hear more about. Actually, I say that because our little two-year-old loves stop, sit and like demanding the dog do things anyway so at the age of eight this guy was basically professional and he's never looked back uh he is now the owner and founder of ribblesdale labradors uh he picks up on some really well-known shoots up and down the country including a number of grouse moors you might have probably seen him at shows and events doing gun dog demos he's that good uh so a huge warm welcome to ricky maloney thank you very much Uh, i must just say that we must mention Sandra, my wife, as regards to a founder of Ribblesdale Labradors, because if I don't, I'm in serious trouble. <laughs> so, so Ricky and Sandra okay. mustn't forget the other half. Sandra and Ricky, even. Yes, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and Ricky, I mean, you, I think, do, you, you guys are out a lot. So you must have had uh, Christmas and New Year is always a super busy time in the shooting world. How many, t- how many days were you guys out over that period? Pretty much, I think we finished. We finished on the twenty third, and then we resumed on the twenty seventh. Okay, yeah. So you you got a, Boxing a Day off, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
we got yeah, twenty third or twenty fourth, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, Boxing Day. Yeah. So, 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 how many days in a season are you not out in the field? So, I usually average about a hundred, between hundred and hundred twenty days a season with the dogs, starting in August, August the twelfth, straight through until the first of Feb. I can wow. see Chris trying to work out how many days there are in a season. It's about about 122, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, how many days are there in a season, Ricky? I don't know. Six months. What, whatever six months uh, is. Yeah, so of course you're doing August the 12th all the way. Yeah, yeah. Start with the first six weeks, first six weeks, eight weeks, up on the Grouse Moors, come back home, start on the pheasant and partridge, uh, and yeah, just literally run through. That's a big contact book just to make that happen, let alone the organisation of like going in between all of those. It's a very, very interesting one because people seem to think that you're just out occasionally with the, with your dogs for a day's picking up. Well, actually, I've got dates. I'll get dates February, March. In fact, we've already got the grouse dates for August. Start August the 12th, six days a week. So, so literally from season to season your dates are in the diary so when people say oh can you do this or can you do that nine times out of ten we're booked from year to year and presumably that's not all on the same moor right so you're not you're not on the same moor monday to to friday or monday to saturday so you're you're here there and everywhere so you can't just get an airbnb for six weeks or something you've got to be all over the show well, for, for up on the Grouse Moors, and it's where the, the famous Steve Comer uh, was, it is six days a week. So we split between the two moors, and literally uh, the estate provides my accommodation, and I'm out there providing a service for six days a week because they shoot six days a week. Goodness, oh, that was going to be my question because, I mean, the mileage, but obviously if you're, st- if you're fortunate enough to be able to have a, somewhere that big that you can do six days and it's not so much of an issue otherwise i mean you're yeah you, you're you are providing that service and essentially they're employing you for that otherwise you, you it's a passion that you're spending a fortune on otherwise i think yeah i think things are changing interestingly economics are changing and i think people are realizing now that providing a professional service there's more economic benefit to the estate because for every bird picked, if we're, if we're looking at, at the cost of a bird, I don't know, £55 plus that upwards, well, if I'm running a team of 9, 10 dogs, 12, 15 dogs on the grouse moors, per bird times by X number of birds per day, economically, it's in the estate's interest. Yeah. So There's a lot a lot to get into here. We definitely need to do this. I, we, need, we must break open these drinks, though. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so the way we like to do these things, uh, Ricky, is just to to set the tone and and set the vibe and uh, get everybody ready for a a good long chat, uh, is to ask, what's that you're drinking? I would always, my choice would always be lager. Uh, Growing up in Lancashire, it was was the drink of choice for for young lads going round the town. I've just started to discover uh, an IPA and one or two flavoured ales so maybe at 51 now my palate's slowly changing (laughs) (laughs) Uh, have you got an uh, an ipa or a lager of choice well we can't use brew dog so i've had to go for something like uh what would i go for there's one or two local breweries a donnington donnington is a local brewery uh they do a, a nice ipa so it'd be something on those lines very nice and chris what have you got so I don't think I've had this drink before. Uh, I've got an old speckled hen, very, very sort of fairly normal 
enjoyable, perfectly decent enough beer. Uh, if I have had it before, someone point it out, then uh, uh, you'll win a prize. That would be lovely. Um, but did you know? Do you know where the name comes from? A speckled hen's got to be a pheasant, right? Any advances, no, Ricky? No, well, I, I saw this on television not so long ago. <laughs> there was, refresh my memory, because I can't remember it, but it was not what you'd expect if memory serves me right. No, the MG car company for the 50th anniversary of uh, a particular factory went to a brewery down the road from you, not a million miles yes, from you, Ricky. at Cowley. Uh, Moreland & Co. Yep. Uh, and they said to them, we want a, a beer to commemorate the, the occasion. And so they, they decided, they got to decide what they called it. And they had a car just outside the paint shop called the Old Speckledon as in they referred to that car as the one, the the battered up MG. So they called it the old speckled hen. This MG Featherlight Saloon was the battered up MG. And that's where the old speckled hen comes from. (laughs) Nothing like you'd expect at all. And to add to that, three weeks ago, I was in Abingdon having my car serviced and the plaque on the wall when I was wandering around Abingdon was that story. So I knew I'd seen it somewhere, and it's, it's <laughs> down in Abingdon at the MG MG old headquarters. So yeah, that's refreshed my memory. That's where I got it from. How mad that I should bring out that story to that plaque that you'd see. That's Yeah, three, that's four weeks neat. ago. That's yeah. niche. Amazing. <laughs> Strange. Yeah. George, what are you on? One of the, the nice things about being able to invite people shooting, apart from having the... They're excellent company. Is that they often bring a very nice gift along. Now, some people like Chris bring absolutely filthy uh, cocktails that they've bought in a can from the service station, and other people. I bought you something else, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> other people, like my other colleague Digby, bring very nice bottles of things. Um, and oh. he brought me a bottle of War's uh, late bottled vintage port. So this is a 2010. Uh, I opened it on uh, Christmas Day once the kids had gone to bed, and uh, I've been enjoying little little drops every now and again ever since. Um, and it's Absolutely. very delicious. We, we uh, we've been doing the same sort of thing. We had a random uh, port and cheese night the other night, just you know, <laughs> casual Monday or whatever it was. I think it was New Year's Day. Uh, just Crikey. because you've got cheese, got you got cheese left over. Well, we were in bed at like nine pm on New Year's Eve, so it doesn't make any difference. Uh, but you got port and cheese left over, and you just think, why not? Got to. It's got to be. Got to be got rid of. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, very good. So, you, so you didn't drink the lovely bottle of slow gin I bought you. You thought you'd ram it home that Digby got you a really nice bottle. Of no, bottle. no. It's it's uh, it's up at the Elevens' hut, um, and it has been enjoyed by many people. But I don't think there's very much of it left, actually. Um, we, you'll have seen, we tend to go through slow gin at a fair old rate on our shoot. I only saw today, by the way, uh, yesterday, uh, I hadn't even seen a bottle, and I don't know how I didn't get one, but the Gin Bothy Order of the Garters oh, yeah. podcast shoot day bottle of gin. I didn't realise. My dad had his hands on one, somehow. Uh, uh, Jake organised them. So, um, anyway, oh, it's all right. I'm going to steal my dad's when he's not looking, so it's fine. <laughs> Um, yeah, looking forward to that. Good. Right. So, Ricky, now that we've all got a drink, what we do now is return to our mailbag. Um, and uh, the first section segment is called Whose Bird Is It Anyway? And it's where we ask our listeners to write in with their shooting uh, queries and quandaries and dilemmas. And we do our level best to help them out. 
Um, I always keep our correspondence anonymous to protect the guilty. And this comes from somebody I have decided to name Macbeth, who has written. Hi, guys. I'm a big fan of the pod. I started listening a few months ago and and I'm working my way through the back catalogue. My query is this. My brother and I have shot all our lives, having been introduced to shooting by our dad. Initially, this was through walked up rough days, taking a pheasant if one appeared or stalking rabbits on our grandparents' farm. This progressed to us going beating on dad's syndicate and then sharing a ped on the odd day. He took both of us as teenagers to the Scottish Isles for a salmon and a stag. Unsurprisingly, we're both now keen shots and both help out on shoots local to our new homes, beating and so on, and try to find any affordable shoot days when we can. We're now both grown up, married and have moved away from home, but dad still buys a day each season down in Devon where we're from, where we join him. It's a huge part of how we bonded growing up, and it's still one of the key topics of conversation on the weekly family Zoom, along with the best slow gin recipes, stick making and fishing. Do you have any ideas on something we could do or buy as a way of thanking him and keeping this going outside of the obvious buying a day? For added context, my dad is the kind of man who, if he wants something, will buy it. He's a nightmare to buy presents for. Love it. That's kind of like most people who do a lot of shooting. They are in that category. Yeah, they've, they've got everything. Like, shoot, yeah, yeah. Shooting's sort of the sort of last thing you buy in life, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so it is a horrible challenge. I have exactly the same problem with my dad every Christmas. What on earth did you get him? Right. There's lots we could go down here. We need to get creative. Ricky, I want to go to you first. Uh, have you, What would you do in this situation? Right. So shooting is is the that would be the one that would be very predictable. So for me, I would go, if there are photographs over the years, I would bring everything together, the first stag, the first salmon, the favourite stick, etc., etc., and I would bring that all together in a photo album that one is unique and two is it, it's it's a glimpse of sporting past and sporting present and hopefully sporting future. Very nice idea. And I was thinking along the same sort of lines. I was thinking some sort of painting. Um, if there's a, a great photo from a day that the three of you have had out, there's lots of excellent artists out there who'll take commissions uh, and work from photographs. I think that's a good... You've done something like that, haven't you, Chris? Yeah. So I was going to work from a photo, but actually there's a particular artist called Alison Mackinson or Mackinson, uh, really nice guy who I know my dad likes his stuff. He's got some of his things at home. So for his 60th, I got him to join us on a day and he then painted a slightly adjusted version. So I was in the background shooting with my dad in the foreground and I gave it to him as his 60th and oil painting. Absolutely. I was so pleased I did it. Yeah, really. I want to get Alistair on, actually. I think he'd be a great guest to have on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, he would. I th- that sort of thing. Yeah, the routes you're the route you've gone down, Ricky, is I think the way you've got to go. Obviously, the same thing with pets of a huge value there, and they definitely do them from from um, obviously from photos. Well, of course, you know, depending on how old Dad is and what the current dog situation is in their house, I was expecting Ricky to say that a Labrador pup would be just the right right sort of gift for a dad of this ilk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, see, I would always advise trained dog, do not go down the puppy route because uh, of right. the pitfalls. The problem is, it could be the worst gift ever. 
Depends if he wants a dog. Well, exactly. It's a bit like giving someone another child if they don't want any more children. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think I think it, it, it's one of those. And also, would the gift not be the fact that father has bestowed the love and the passion of field sports onto his sons? I'm going to assume from the what what he's described, this guy has had dogs throughout his life. I'm just going to assume. I think this is a safe bet. I can imagine if he's had dogs throughout his lives, a sort of drawing almost of each dog in one frame, Ooh, nice one by one by a particular artist coming to the most recent in chronological order, that'd just be so cool for your wall, wouldn't it? Well, I'm the wrong person to talk to because... because no, you also go you around your need whole, You need the National Gallery. Well, no, I just think a picture of a Labrador when I'm working with them 24-7 or a Spaniel or a cup with a Labrador on it saying favourite Labrador is just... <laughs> Yeah, I'm the wrong person. Not for me. So so I'm sure it floats a lot of people's boats, but yeah, yeah. each to their own. <laughs> so have we got any advances on art then or or or, or photography? I think um like is what about like what about like super fancy shooting clobber, the stuff that you wouldn't normally buy for yourself because it's mad money. Doesn't that usually mean that when you get it, you think, why on earth did someone buy this? Or you think, well, that's really nice. Like the £400 cashmere socks. Uh, I think they're 500 Sorry, I'm wrong. Uh, £500 cashmere shooting socks and Purdy. They are lovely. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, I'm not going to say... There's a story to my pair of socks, and I'm not going to say too much, but I did receive a pair at Christmas, so... Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yes. Are they cashmere? Uh, they're very expensive, and they're a gift from a very good customer, so... Yeah, I'll, ah, well, I'll, I can come back to you on those later on when I've tried them. I'll probably keep them in the drawer for fear of spoiling them. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, there are. Fine shooting accessories is a good place for gifts if for someone that's got everything. But you will need deeper pockets if you want something really nice because they've got a lot of silver stuff on there. Mm, some that's of those silver the silver models, I guess they're sculptures, aren't they? The, the grey partridges, I think, are on there. I've got my eye on. Yeah. But I'm currently got... ten thousand pounds short. I think of what uh, what I need. <laughs> yeah, that, I'm usually ten grand short of most things I want on their website. I agree. Uh, they've got they've got like a or a sporting day that's unique. Well, this is I, th- I think you're right. This is experience led stuff that mm. that he wouldn't know of or wouldn't think to book or would be too worried about the hassle of organising. If you can put the effort in for like a short trip. I'm thinking a bit of everything. If you go down to Denver, and, and where would you where would you look for such a, a trip or an experience, Chris? <laughs> I don't know. I'd pro- do you know what I'd do? I'd Google such experiences, and you will end up on a particular website that I've heard of. <laughs> right? Okay. Yes. I, I, I spend my life making sure that you will. That's that's part of my job. But anyway, yes. Uh, no, I'm thinking things like I'd yeah I'd chuck some shooting in there and find some wildfowling or something. But then I'd also do, you could do like tuna fishing off the Cornwall coast or something like that. Yes. Tied in with what a good idea. Tied in with like a three-day or a two-day thing in like an Airbnb as a family. Very nice. Yeah, I like that idea a lot. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Getting carried away now. <laughs> You're just thinking about when your dad's birthday is, are you? Well, the problem is he'll probably listen to this and I've gone and ruined all the ideas, haven't I? So I need to hold one back. <laughs> yeah, and I think doing something a little bit more unique. So we've been just trialling it this season as regards to walked-up rough days over well-trained dogs. And it's been very interesting, the interest, and, and lots of guns saying, this takes me back to my childhood, this takes me back to my youth. So I think something on those lines where... Uh, it's not the norm-driven day, but something maybe a little bit more niche. 
So, so do you provide a pack of well-trained dogs for the situation? Yeah, we've just trialled it this season or just trialled it this season. So two two men with spaniels, well-trained spaniels that dropped to flush, dropped to shot, and two or three people. So, so one dog handler per two guns uh, to, to, to pick as they shoot and just have the dogs well-trained. So if they want to bring their own dog, they can do. Uh, but it's just something a little bit different, so so people can appreciate good dogs uh, while they're doing a, a bit of walked up rough shooting. Love. And so on a day like that, with say four guns, how many dogs would be would be part of that team? Then I was trying to keep count, so, but I lost track. So we go <laughs> usually we go six guns, five or six guns, and then you'd have three dog handlers, as in retriever people. So so one dog handler per two guns, and then and then two spaniels in the line, or or two spaniel men. Uh, with two or three spaniels in the line, so a good chance that the dogs could outnumber the guns. I think if probably mass number. Yeah, yeah, but they're only being worked. That obviously the retrievers at heel are, are being sent yeah. as a birdie shot. Yeah, nice. that's quite fun. How, how, how many team? How many guns did you say? So, so five or six is just a nice number. It is and shooting twenty, thirty head, thirty-five, forty head, uh, mixed bag, and just getting back to a bit of basics, really, back to roots a little bit. That's also a lot more easier to organise, isn't it? Five or easy six. to organise. <laughs> and, and financially, I think for some people, they're just going, right, okay, let's just have a look at that. And it's 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 a nice day to do with the family. It's not breaking the bank. And it's more about the banter and the leg pulling and the, and the dog work than it is the actual shooting, really. Yeah, I like that. That sort of thing. So Chuck, that I'd just chuck that into a trip. I'd do that one day, bit of something the other day and bit of something another day. And then... I don't think he could ask for much more than that, could he? Memories father, are made. Father of uh, Macbeth, did you call him? Yeah. I did. <laughs> what was Macbeth's father actually called? Well, I've Duncan, wasn't it? But I realised I've just uh, cock, I've actually cocked up. Um, it was supposed to be a different name for a reference, but I got it wrong. So, what were you going to call him, George? Well, uh, I've I've referenced the wrong Shakespeare play. Um, <laughs> So you've you've gone you've gone intellectual and then and then, and then got it wrong. It up. Yeah, I knew, sooner or later I was going to come a cropper. Um, so uh, here's a here's a riddle for everyone. Then, um, if you think you know which Shakespeare play I was trying to reference, email pod at gunsonpegs.com and you'll be top of the list when we have uh, our podcast shoot day next year. Automatic invite. <laughs> Oh, that's that's an expensive thing you just put out there. Um, <laughs> I just know it's it's one of those invites to pay. Invite to pay, yeah. Oh yeah, we've had we've had this debate. <laughs> <laughs> um, very good, cool. Um, I think we provided some good advice there. I, I like the I like the painting one. I think the the paintings and the, the, all the photo album. I think those are my favourite suggestions. I think they work for this scenario best. I agree with you. Just got to find the key. And there's a lot of people out there. Right, yes. I'm going to come back to that one. I also, re- this is one of those ones I really want to know what he ends up doing and how it goes down. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, pod at Guns on Pegs for the, re- for the results. Right, we have an unpopular opinion, George. We do. You know we have an unpopular opinion because you have called the person Augustus. <laughs> <laughs> I have. I see, a, I see a theme going on here. Uh, he's very clear about his priorities. He says, Augustus emailed in pod at gunsonpegs.com and he said, if a team of guns has 11s and then decides to shoot through lunch, should the beaters and pickers up be slipped a little extra 
considering it means they don't get lunch either and still have to walk miles and not just stand on a peg. Interesting. Very interesting. Should beaters and pickers up be paid more if a team shoots through? Ricky, have you got a preference? Well, I'm I'm just mulling this over. Should they be paid more if they shoot through? Yeah, that's what he's saying. Because basically, I, I can I'm guessing that part of the day is the lunch and the get together with the other beaters and pickers up, and that's a sort of nice you know interlude within the day. And if the team shoots through, they don't have that lovely break. And they all sort of go home after the last drive, whereas the guns might go to the pub and and have their meal or whatever. I'm assuming that's what happens at this shoot, rather than them all doing it together. Uh, I think there's quite a unique scenario here. Yeah. Well, I I actually think that the dynamics are changing. And I think in the old days, you were there until it was dark, picking up a beating because the boss man wanted to make a day of it. Now, I actually think now... Things are changing where it's difficult to get good beaters and pickers up. And I think a lot of shoots are now saying, right, we'll do two drives or three drives, 11s is, one or two drives, finish, done and dusted, everybody can get away. And if the guns then want to go to the pub or have a meal at the house or whatever, then that then they can, that's fine. It's the guns day. For me as a picker up, I've got kennels to do in the morning, I've got kennels to do at the end of the day, as of a lot of beers and pickers up. So if we can have early finishes, it's it suits us more financially. Am I there for the financial side of things? Not really. Am I there for the food? Not really. I'm actually there to provide a service for my keeper friends and enjoy my dog work. So he would he's arguing you should be paid more because you're able to get away early. <laughs> Fewer well, hours. You should be paid less. If you, if yeah, if, if fewer <laughs> hours, you should be paid less. Yeah, I feel like this maybe this is a, like the more informal end of things, where maybe the lunch is sort of part of what you get for coming beating as well. It's sort of a bit of cash plus a bit of a feed, you know, laid on by the shoot. That's kind of it's sort of a payment in kind type of thing. Um, I get the impression that at this shoot, the lunch for the beaters and pickers up is a great fun part of the day yeah and yeah. when cook. when the team decides yeah i reckon that they've got it all going and i don't i reckon they don't have a problem with beaters and pickers up in terms of getting enough of them like you were saying like i agree with you a lot of shoots do yeah. uh, and so when the team at this time of year especially so in, in the shortest months in the shortest days i reckon when the team then decides obviously they need to shoot through or want to shoot through that's where this lot then get annoyed because they're missing yeah. out on their fun well, I think also as well, I think as regards to your beaters and your pickers up, should they get extra recompense or nobody ever complains when, when on a shoot day they have an early finish. So if they get the, the meal on the whole, I don't know, 10, 14 days over that season and every now and then the guns decide to shoot through because of foul weather, if they're going to complain and mourn and be unhappy about it or or want extra money... I might be wrong in terms of his demand for the more fun at lunch because he says a little extra because they don't get lunch either and still have to walk miles. I was just I mean, thinking I'm, this. I might meet Augustus one day, but something tells me he has a large appetite and he might not be that fit. <laughs> well, I was thinking like I think he's thinking about fuel here. I think he's thinking about about energy and 
that kind of stuff that he's got to do all the traipsing without getting a, a top up to the fuel tank. I think he struggles. I think, I think he's struggling. <laughs> or, or you reckon maybe he just needs a, long, a bit of a sit down as well. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else calls it lunch. He calls it rest. Yeah. <laughs> I, do, I do have sympathy, though. You know, if, if the normal format for that particular shoot is to stop for lunch and then, you know, halfway through the morning, it's announced, by the way, chaps, we're shooting through. I can kind of see how that might, like I suppose, if you knew you were shooting ah. through, you'd sort of prepare mentally for that, and you'd make sure you had yes. a big, decent breakfast, and yeah, absolutely, a couple of Snickers in your pocket, exactly. It, that you're absolutely right. That is annoying when that happens, and you haven't thought about it, and you're not on a place where you know there's loads of hospitality, and you think, "Damn, I'm actually really hungry now." And that never happens when you're shooting. Um, I I agree. So that yeah. And then I assume that this has been driven by one of these cold days we've recently had, chuck in a bit of rain, and suddenly he was standing there hungry, tired, because he'd drunk too much over Christmas, and then thought, hold on a second, this isn't why I'm here. And he sent us an email. Where's my beef stew? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, In which case, I get it. Do you think he wants more money, or do you think he just wants dumplings? (laughs) <laughs> i think dumplings are what he'd buy if he had more money <laughs> is, so he a gun? Think... is he a gun or is he a beater of pick it up he doesn't he's say he doesn't he does, say he definitely he's definitely in the beating or picking up team right uh, again i i'm i'm a little bit old-fashioned and i think what what's happening here is we're actually losing sight of beaters and pickers up are actually employed by an estate and a keeper to provide a service and if that shoot decides to do this, that, or the other, that's life. Deal with it. Yeah, that I, I'm with you to a point, but definitely, this is the lovely thing about shooting. It varies enormously. Yes, yeah, from shoot to shoot, from from region to region, and and but, yeah, and style and desire and reason for being there in the first place, and yeah i've got a very very simple mantra as regards to any of my pickers up that mourn about a shoot or uh 11s or this that or the other if you don't want to come and get your dogs out don't come stop at home uh it's a very it's very you do want people you need people who want to be there mm. because you need people going the extra mile quite often literally in order to to do the job properly whether that's beating or picking up um, and it also depends on it, it, it's kind of in line with what the shoot's reason is if it's quite a commercial shoot you have to have that sort of quite commercial arrangement with your beaters and pickers obviously have to be fun as well but yeah. you can't have slackers yeah. doing it badly because obviously that would affect this thing that you've charged quite a lot of money for mm. and if it's a very chilled out family shoot obviously the beating picked up team does what the hell it wants because that's the vibe and that's lovely but the guns expect that, so it's all very—it's all dependent upon. Yeah, but see now, I've got so 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 there. The vibe can be good, but for me, and it's one of my—it's best not to start on this. But one of the things with all of this is, to me, welfare of the game. And yes. I've been to some very very relaxed shoots, and the the atmosphere and the vibe can be brilliant, but. When you've got people not actually fussed about wounded birds going away because they're more interested in what's going to be served for 11s is, for, for me, I'd sooner not go to those places because that's not what I'm there to do. 
So is it about the food? Is it about the food and the hospitality? Or is it about actually providing a thorough service? And as part of that day, there might be some elevenses or a meal at the end of it, which is a bonus. So what you're saying is no matter what the vibe of the shoot, there is a bare minimum that needs to be met in regard to what you do. And after that, have as much fun as you like. Yeah, I think so. You're shooting game. And yeah. we owe it to the game to, to, to recover that as, as efficiently as humanely as possible, whether it's a 30-bird a walked-up rough day or it's a 2,000-mega day. <laughs> yeah, welfare yeah. of the game, for me, is the important thing. The 11s is and everything else is the peripherals. For the guns, it's a different dynamic. We're getting on to something, and I must get back to this. George, round yeah. us off with our contributors. Right, so uh, Macbeth and Augustus, and now you, Ricky, are uh, the newest members, uh, the first for 2024, of the Most Noble Order of the Garters. And you will all very soon be in receipt of a set of the very highly coveted, highly exclusive Guns on Pegs podcast shooting sock garters. If you too have got a shooting confession on or a query that you'd like us and our guests to help you with, or if you'd like to share an unpopular opinion, or if you'd like to tell us about Forgotten Drive or any of the other conversational topics that we have suggested over the last few years, drop us an email to pod at gunsonpegs.com. And if we use your submission in any future episode, we will send you some garters. So talking of garters, I was doing some tidying up over Christmas. And you know, we have a bit of chat about the purple changing to lavender oh, yeah. in our garters. So Ricky, these garters are pink, oatmeal and lavender, right? Predominantly pink, okay? So right. people, spot, people spot them. Um, turns out, George, the pink has changed a shade during podcast history. Has uh, it? I had... I've had a few of them lined up next to each other, and I was shocked to see that there was a slight <laughs> shade of pink change. But anyway, I thought it was just the lavender that had changed from sort of purple to lavender. Anyway. So what have we got? We've gone from hot pink to what? No, no, it was like a deeper pink. Now it's a slightly hotter pink. So yeah, oh, okay. So... It's big news at, at Garter HQ. <laughs> this is serious stuff. This is yeah. the shade of this yeah. pink is serious. Are you stockpiling them? <laughs> no, I have one. I have one of each. I get sent a sample before a new batch, oh. so I have. So I have a selection of garters, and I often wear different ones, but they all look the same. But uh, but not quite. <laughs> yeah. See, I will be more concerned, Chris, the fact that you've actually got time to get out your set of garters, lay them on the bed <laughs> or wherever, and study them. Oh, that's what you think I was doing. It's very was in clear- character. It's very in character. <laughs> I was clearing out a drawer and I found all my my spares. So, yes, <laughs> we'll take your word for that. <laughs> right, Ricky, back to the start. Yes. We're on to something there. I've learned quite a lot about you already. Very meticulous. Yep. Definitely have a, quite a serious setup. You do this very professionally, very properly. Uh, take us back a bit. How on earth did you get started into this? I started as an eight, nine-year-old boy walking or running around the local fields with my brother-in-law and brother with terriers looking for rabbits and rats in in Lancashire on ground that we didn't have permission on. And if the farmer turned up, you went and run or hid or whatever. And gradually it started to progress into renting a piece of ground just out by Warley, Clitheroe in Lancashire and yeah. rough shooting that and, and then buying brother bought a Labrador, brother-in-law bought a Spaniel and from an early age I knew the British countryside 
and field sports and dogs and the wildlife within it was for me. And once at nine or ten, I discovered that that's all I was going to do. That's awesome. So field sports was sort of in the blood. Was it in the family, though? Was it something that, that you'd inherited? No, I'm adopted. So I, I started life in a children's home in, in Clitheroe in Lancashire. And, uh, sorry, Blackburn in Lancashire. I was born in Clitheroe uh, and was advertised in the Lancashire Evening Telegraph. Mother's still got the paper cutting. Uh, myself and my brother uh, were, were looking for a home, in effect, a bit like Pets pets Online, wanted good home with Kerry Box. And Goodness myself me. and my brother were uh, adopted by an English family uh, who still live up in Lancashire, my mum and dad. And age, and at nine ten, brother-in-law was always out ratting and terriering, and, and I wanted to join him and pestered him and pestered him, and he took me along, and that's where that's where the love of, of field sports and everything within the countryside started. Wow. That was not the answer I was expecting. <laughs> no. That's... But... But that's awesome that you then, so you found this passion that you, you know, so essentially sort of almost started poaching. You found this passion, absolutely blooming loved it, rented a bit of ground, moved into it, and it's literally one big trajectory from there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you actually look, and this is what I say about England and, 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 and field sports and the people within it, you will not find... Uh, a better set of people with with the morals and the etiquette and the manners. So for me, as essentially a, a Pakistani uh, English Asian, being accepted into the shooting world at nine, ten years of age and going beaten, and nobody was actually bothered. What they were more interested in is you got a, a young lad who was keen on field sports. I was welcomed with open arms, mentored and tutored by some fantastic people some who are not no longer with us but only in england and here i am now i sit in the heart of the cotswolds uh training gun dogs and and providing lessons and classes to uh the english shooting set and and, and people that are involved in field sports and you go well, it's been it's been a bizarre ride and anything's possible if you've got that uh attitude and can do attitude and and sky's the limit that's fascinating because it's interesting i I mean, race doesn't come into it, uh, but 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 you're saying that's something that you noted as being, uh, you know, particularly sort of well received, as it were, when maybe you hadn't expected that. Well, I, I grew up, like I say, I grew up just outside of Accrington, so so one, you can't, and there's, there's a big Indian Asian uh, set of people. They were brought over for the cotton mills in in the fifties. Well. When you can't speak the language, you're ostracised from that environment, but then you're obviously not English. So so to an extent, um, like I say, we're growing up in Accrington and on Blackburn and Burnley, you're ostracised from that contingent. So you sit in the middle. You're not black, you're not white, you're not Asian, you're not English. But field sports, nobody were bothered. That's if so you're a good hear. guy, nobody... So when we talk about racism and this, actually... It's, it doesn't exist. People go, well, if you're a good guy, you're all right. And if you're not a good guy or a good girl, you're not welcome on board. So it's really, it's about the passion for field sports and people taking you as they find you. There's a lot in this. Sorry, I know George wants to get a word in, but there's a lot in this because the same is true of like a lot of other sort of clubs and things like that. When the passion overtakes everything else, like our, our common purpose or the thing that brings us together, Everything else is forgotten. You know, the same is true of uh, in football. 
if you go to the football a lot or any sport for that matter, you find yourself with all walks of life and no one gives two hoots about anything else that got them to that day. It's just, we're here now, we're doing this really fun thing together and you have this massive bond with these people. And actually, I certainly, I used to go to football quite a lot and you end up like, 15 years later, like, I don't know anything about this person outside of the three hours on a Saturday I spend with them. Common <laughs> ground. <laughs> yeah. Because you've got ground. that really strong common ground and shooting mm. is exactly that. And, and and people, yeah, from all walks of life. Brilliant. Mm. Absolutely brilliant. But it's great to hear you say that, Ricky, because I think certainly like from the outside, I think one of the criticisms that people would like to be able to level at shooting is that it is that, that, that there is a very easy stereotype to paint of a game shot and they are white they're you know later middle-aged bit chunky and so on and 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 potentially you know kind of small c conservative and um and not that open-minded but i think what you're saying shows that for the for the falsehood that it is um and uh, i think that's very encouraging yeah. And and I think to be honest i think it's like with anything it's become very fashionable well, actually, I've made a career, I'm 51 years of age, and if I'm really, really honest, nobody's actually been that bothered. We're trying to make a mountain out of a molehill, and I think we, I would speak for a lot of people when they say, nobody's actually that bothered. If you've got somebody who's interested uh, and, and, and they're keen and they're eager, they'll get fostered and they'll be mentored and, and, and looked after, and it doesn't matter what you are. I've got a lot of ladies on my picking-up teams, now, I still see it. Guys take it very personal if a lady comes along and picks the bird that the chap was looking for. As far as I'm concerned, ladies or gents, if they're, if they're good people and, and they want to come along and, and do the job with us, then great. It doesn't matter what they are. And I think that's the, I would speak for a lot of people within field sports. Nobody's actually that bothered. That's good to hear. Yeah. I agree. I mean, yeah. but this is what we, this is kind of what we see on normal sort of normal life but then i think it is maybe media driven or whatever that trying to enforces a different opinion on us which just yeah. clearly it clearly is rubbish it's fashionable and, and 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 this is my time 40 years ago i had people singing to me which i didn't understand at the time there's no black in the union jack and if we fast forward now 40 years so here we go i'm 51 so that's when i'm 10 years of age I've become untouchable, and if I have, if I was of that mind, I could, I could play the race card at the drop of a hat, and people actually recoil, terrified. When actually, we've gone to the other extreme now. Forty years down the line, let's get back to that middle ground, and just go. There's good people, there's bad people. Let's treat everybody right, and if they prove themselves to be otherwise, then they're not part of our club. Very simple. Very noble well, sentiment. I, I, it, I couldn't agree more. I agree. I feel like we summed up life quite quickly. That's... <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. We don't often do philosophy, but um, I think that's great. There we go. Yeah. I think it's great. Um, I, I'm, I'm interested in, I, I don't have a dog uh, at present. I'm desperate for one. Life doesn't allow at the moment, but I'm, I've always been fascinated by people who work their dogs and, and uh, you know, very, very well trained picking up teams, uh, teams in particular, because I think having one dog is one thing having two is another and having you know multiples of that is a completely different ball game so when you're out picking up how how many dogs have you got in your in your team at the moment I, i'm assuming they're not all out every day well i've got a team i think of 17 
So, so that's youngsters that we will, well, well, we've started playing about with that will be trained up in earnest from February, ready to go in August. Uh, we've got we've got dogs that have done the first season that will one or two are sold as trained peg dogs at the end of the season. Uh, so I run a team of about 17 on a normal day. If I'm out down on the pheasants of the partridge down here in Gloucestershire, I'll run a team of usually seven or eight. Wow. And and do each of your, I mean, this is something that, that I've always wondered as well. Do each of the, the team that you take out with you on a day, have they all got different strengths and weaknesses? So you're kind of a, a bit like a, a football manager. You'll be picking a, a selected team to, to do a bunch of different jobs on the day. The, the dogs normally will do six days a week. So so I retire everything pretty much at five years of age. Uh, and they will go to the new homes. Purely and simply, I never end up with an old pack. And because we're doing so many days, the youngsters very quickly learn about game and game finding. So So over the course of a season, you've got a team that, yeah, some dogs will have strengths and weaknesses. Some dogs will hunt a long, long way away from you. Some dogs will just tickle around close by to you. Some are very good on on taking a runner. Some take a while to get going. So, yes, I've got my team. I've got an idea over the course of the summer, the strengths and weaknesses, but you don't really know a dog until it's actually done a season. Can I ask a really naive question that, I'm now asking in public, which is an awful place to ask. Uh, I've got a dog with a whistle. I uh, trained it on a two ten and a half. Yeah. Uh, if you've got eight dogs with you, yeah. Do you do you all run them off the same tone of whistle, or how do you do it? Yes. Well, we, we go back now. If you go back to the beginning, when we're out picking up, I'm not training my dogs, so I'm sweeping through. Now, it's become very, very fashionable for people not to let the dogs go and sweep through and do this, that, and the other. For me, my dogs are, are sent off one by one, so there's eight, ten dogs. If there's on the grouse moors, it's 10, 15 dogs, all hoovering around the place. Mm. I might keep a dog or two at heel uh, if I'm thinking of competing it in a trial or if I, if I want to use it for a handle retrieve. But when those dogs are working, the responsibility is on the dog to go, find game, and come back. Very rarely do I use a whistle. And if you're selecting one to make a retrieve on a runner during a drive, let's say, yep. you just say the name, send it, and then it obviously responds to the whistle if you need to use it. Yeah, so what I've... Again, there's a procedure. So if I've got my team of dogs sat up, and I've got my dog sat up in front of me, so I can see the drive, and I can see uh, the dog sat in front of me, so I can keep an eye on both things at once. So if there's an obvious bird that comes come past as it's got a leg down it's got a wing up and i've got one of the older dogs that's seen it i will just say that dog's name so for example elf elf then goes and picks that bird i can leave him and concentrate on the the, the drive yeah if if it's a bird that i've seen crash in somewhere uh and and it's going to be one of those retrieves that needs me to handle the dog i will let the drive finish because it's my responsibility to make sure I'm watching everything that's shot and, and, and this, that, and the other, and where birds are going. When the drive's over, I will pull the dog out of the team. The rest of the team are switched off. The dog that's at heel is now switched on. I will then handle that dog for that retrieve, and then that's where my whistle will come into play. Okay, okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. This... <laughs> 
Who knew, George? <laughs> well, I certainly didn't. <laughs> um, wowzers. Uh, just one thing you've picked up on. Um, we've talked about packs and kennels. These are collective nouns for dogs, right? Yes. Um, I, I found out that basically that's kind of all dogs, except for some breeds of dogs have their own collective nouns. Are you, are you aware of this? Well, I know hounds are hounds. Well, of yeah. You don't you don't call them dogs, yeah. So uh, pug pugs a grumble, not a sofa. <laughs> sofa of pugs, <laughs> a grumble of pugs. Uh, I've I've also found I didn't even know of this breed. Uh, a oh, hold on, what's this? A tornado of terriers. Seems about right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, a, um, a holly a Hollywood of Salukis. Nah, um, that's made up. Yeah, it's best bullshit. Isn't it? uh, we we need uh, we we need a collective noun of Labradors in a slightly cooler way, don't we? To le- like, a bit of marketing here for the Labrador. It's a right. Okay. So 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 I've I've got I've got one for the Labradors, which might be suitable. I've also got one for Golden Retrievers. Go on. Because lots of my friends have Golden Retrievers, big packs, some very very good Golden Retrievers, and and my collective for those is a Chaos. Okay. Yep. Nice. And 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 for the Labradors, I would probably go a gentle, a, a gentle. Oh, nice. <laughs> Very nice, George. This is definitely your domain. Can I put you on the spot? Well, I like a staff of Labradors because they've always given. There's a very, I think it's a Bryn Parry cartoon, isn't it, of the Labrador presenting the pheasant on a silver platter. I've always thought there's something quite butlery about a, a black lab in particular. I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, I like I'd this. Agree. Uh, B- B- Bryn also did the character. Uh, he also did a, a drawing for Guns on Pegs right at the start uh, of the the guns lab on the peg on his laptop, booking his next day's shooting on Guns on Pegs. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and, and that is very staff like, <laughs> isn't it? So <laughs> I like this. A staff of Labradors. I'm just trying to think of one now for for a collective for Springer Spaniels and Cockers. Maybe think, I'll have to come back on that one. Well, I think I think Spaniels is probably a mayhem. Uh, your your chaos of retrievers is good, um, and I think it's probably something along the same lines, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not to offend any spaniel owners. <laughs> no, a large chunk of listeners. About fifty percent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just just less. <laughs> we, we we have we have discussed it many times. The Labrador is the most popular. Ricky, it, it, everything. Just listening to you talk, I get the feeling that the way that you do picking up is a very kind of considered and structured way. Is that is that fair? Well, yeah. I think again, if we go back to the beginning when I first started and, and served my apprenticeship at Willowick Kennels, which is a which was a very prominent kennels at the time. Unfortunately, my old bosses are very old and frail now, but. When I started with those in 1991 at 19, they were professional dog handlers and all the estates around us, so so, uh, Batsford, which was quite a famous estate, and Season Cut in the heart of the Cotswolds, Morton in the Marsh, Stone the Wold, all the keepers had big teams of dogs. And there was a way that it was done. And it was a very simple way, and we were there to provide a service for the estate and for the keeper to pick the game that would not be picked by the guns. So, very, very simple idea. We're far enough back, if the drive allows it, and the stuff that really is going to hobble off wounded is what the picker-up is really there to do. 
We all had big teams of dogs. We all provided a service and we went from estate to estate because somebody shot on the Monday, somebody shot Tuesday, Wednesday, and it was a well-oiled machine and there was very little fuss. So you're now running these teams uh, yourself plus some, some other pickers up, I assume, as well? Yeah, I think there's a lot of change. People now don't want to serve apprenticeships. People get a dog and, hey, presto, within a season, they're experts. And are we losing sight? I think in certain situations, yes, we are. We're losing sight of what the picker-up should be about and what his role is. And I've discussed this with with Tarek with Millington Drake, and, and there will be an article or two covered on it as regards to it's the guns day. Let's not forget that it's the guns day. He or she has paid a lot of money to go and have a day sport. Now, we are the hired hand. We are paid by the estate, or most estates were paid by the estate, to actually go and provide a service. I don't need to have a discussion with a gun as regards to what he's doing with his dog. Is he going to pick his birds? All that nonsense. And articles and articles are written on it. I'm there in the background and through a procedure, and we can touch on it later on, through a procedure, that gun is on the peg, he shoots his game. If he's got a dog, he works his dog. And by the time the shoot captain says, right, ladies and gentlemen, we're now ready to start moving off to the next drive, that's our cue in effect to then start our picking up uh, from the bike. So, so this is uh, your, prob- your this this episode is a sort of uh, your your gun dog team or your picking up team has probably got it wrong episode. Uh, <laughs> and now we're going to go into all of the things that actually it sounds very logical already, and I entirely agree with everything I've heard that your team should be doing. So the procedure, yes, procedure one hundred one gun dog picking up go right. <laughs> and and again, it's like anything else. This is the way that I've been schooled. So I'm not going to say that it's the best way. What I'm going to say is, amazingly, it's very simple, but it works very well. So if we think about it from a logical point of view, game is blanked in from A to B. Let's let, let's take pheasant and, and, and partridge as opposed to grouse, because grouse is a different entity. But let's go, your pheasant and partridge shoot. Game is blanked in from A to B. It's flown from B to C. It's now tired. The last thing I want my young dogs to do, certainly in the first season, once the first season's out the way, they're experienced. But the last thing I want them to do is learn about nailing unshot game. Yeah. Tired game. Two reasons. One, every time my young dog then... This sets up his career. If he if he gets success in the early part of his career on tired game, every time it flushes an unshot bird, it thinks it's fair game, and off it goes, chasing it through the woods, down the fields, wherever. Yeah. So so we give game when it's landed time to sort itself out. So the drive's over, the horn goes, pickers up, set off. My pickers up in theory don't. We're standing and we're waiting. We're letting the tired game in front of us breathe and get itself back together the other probably more important aspect is you've now got in front of you as well dead and wounded game wounded game that's adrenaline starts to subside gets weaker it's bleeding it's got blood blood scent and shot scent on it 
where the pellet has hit the bird. It's broken a wing, a leg. There's blood now coming out of that wound. There's also a pellet strike. And when you pluck pheasant or partridge or any game, you can see where the pellet's actually scorched when it's hit flesh. And on that is the shot, the, the powder, the shot powder, shot scent. So, so if I wait for that game to, to become weaker, not all game does, but it becomes weaker and it tucks up and it dies and this, that and the other, and then I start at the right time and start coming forward with my team, my other pickers up, the unshot game is now rested sufficiently to get up and fly off out the way. The, the young dogs, the older dogs I'm not too bothered about because they've been through this procedure, but the young dogs then come across birds that have got blood scent and shot scent and then get success. So going forward, eventually, when I'm hunting my team of dogs and it's happening now at this time of year, the dogs flush a bird and you'll see a lot of pickers up say to their dog, gone away. How do you know that that's not been shot? You have got no idea. So I'm putting the onus on the dog if my dog goes after it at this time of year now, because they've had the correct schooling, that bird is carrying lead. It's wounded. It's got blood scent and it's got shot scent. Yeah. If it flushes an unshot healthy bird, it might glance at it and carry on hunting. That now is is where I want my dog to be. Yeah. Yeah. It differentiates, not me. Yeah. 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 That makes makes total sense. And blood shit blood scent and shot scent is not something I'd ever heard of until yep. Emily Graham wrote about it in an article on Scribebound last week. Yeah. And it just so happens we're talking to you. Uh so who yeah, knew? it came from it came from me. <laughs> uh, great. Uh well yeah. I, I we, love we, these, me and Emily lo- did discuss this. I love these links. Uh yeah. right. That's and I totally get it. When I see my dog catch a scent from like however far out. Yeah, I mean, it amazes me every time, even though you see it all the time, how powerful their nose is. And you wonder what they've picked up and yes. how they picked it up and which bit. Like when I'm doing the dummy, I often sort of rub my, I probably don't need to, you probably laugh at me, but it's if I've not used it in a while, I, I rub my hand over it just to make Perfectly sure if it's correct. in an area, an area where like there might not be much. Yeah. Yeah. Now there's all, well, there's also sides to this now. Yeah. Right. Now, and, and, and I'm always, we're always, doing field tests as such. Now, going back a few years, one of our local estates that I organised the picking up on, the keeper comes to me before I was in charge and said, Ricky, we've got a problem. And we were shooting some 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 decent partridge days, three, four hundred bird partridge days, and the keeper comes to me and says, we've got a problem. And the reason that he knows he's got a problem is he's dressing out all his game for hotels, restaurants, for the, for the trade. So yeah. he comes to me and says, let's, let's take a 300 bird day, partridge day in September, 20% of the bag's not shot. And I said, right. I said, I know. I said, I, so so let's work out. You, you guys can do the maths. You're cleverer than I am. So 20% of a 300 bird day is not shot. Uh, that's an expensive mistake. Right. So I say to the, to the keeper, yeah, and I know exactly why. Because you've got partridge that are landing early September, the, the good healthy birds, but it's quite warm and, and they're the tired. And as fast as they've landed and tipple toppled over, dogs have nailed them. Overzealous pickers up have nailed them. So, so your guns are now paying for birds that they've never ever shot. Um, 20%. this is this is mad. That sort of figure because we because yeah. guns guns get occasionally up in arms about oh we don't think we shot that many. Yeah. Um, who knew that 
the speed at which the picking up team act could have a huge impact on that. Massive. So 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 here we go back to procedure. Horn goals. Nobody moves. You've got your straggler. You've got that bird that's come down the side of your or is thirty yards in front. That's definitely dead. I I leave all the other dogs sat up and I pick that bird. Uh, if it is wounded, I can dispatch it. I'm giving everything time. Now, a rule of thumb that we work on roughly: the guns are playing with their dogs and having retrieves, and they're having a chat about who shot what and this, that, and the other. Yeah. So I'm not onto them. I'm letting everything settle. So as a rule of thumb, roughly by the time the guns are going to start moving off, is is, is in theory roughly if they're not rushed, good time for the for the birds to rest and recover. Yeah, yeah, makes yep. sense. So 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 we've picked up the stragglers. We're on the radios to each other. Right, uh, who's doing what? Well, I've just got this bird that I'm going to go look for. Right, you go look for that. Gives the birds in front of us a little bit longer to recover. When you pick it, give us a shout, and if we're all ready, we can make a start. Can I just ask a question? How far back are you at yeah, this point? Same question again, for me. Again, very, very simple rule of thought. And again, from, from shoot to shoot, from, from areas in the country, it, it, it can vary. If I've got birds going over my head, lots of birds going over my head, I'm not talking about the odd one. If I've got birds going over my head, I'm not far enough back. That is unshot birds. That's birds on the wing. Well, it, not, it can not be clicked, anything because but... because the thing is, if and, and again we've got to think about this from a procedure and from an economics point of view, when if we can do when we're picking up, we're trying to drive everything back onto the estate. What I don't want to do is chase game off the estate. So so if those birds are travelling, I need to be far enough back that when I start my sweep with my team, we're pushing birds back home. Yeah. Simple, very, very. It's, it's obvious, and and you've waited long, and you've waited long enough so that you're pushing them back home, not pegging them. Crucial yeah. point number one. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so the thing is, you're pushing game back home. If it's going over your head and you're saying it looks all right, you're a better person than I am because I've been doing this now for a lot of years. And if you said to me, <laughs> "Is that wounded? It looks all right to me," the number of times that we've gone into somewhere thinking, well, there's nothing to pick here, and 12 birds later that have got pellets in the toes or wherever, you just go, didn't realise that. So you've got to sweep. You must, if you've got game down, to me, you must sweep through. You owe it to that game. Yeah. Yeah, it's very um, interesting. It's really, really interesting about how, how far back to stand because... George, how many times have you stood in a shoot and the picker-up has definitely got good birds going over their head? Oh, for sure. Like every every time, I think. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, like if they had a gun, it would be a brilliant peck. Like that sort yeah. of level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I know that certainly on some of the more professional shoots, they've definitely got this right, some of the ones I've been on. But I had that's a really lovely rule of thumb to sort of think about when you look at their placing. And I, it, may, it now makes total sense about pushing birds back in while sweeping at the same time for the for the dead game. You're doing a sort of double job in a way. When you actually look at it, you just go, well, that's pretty simple. That's pretty straightforward. It's not complicated. We make it complicated. And 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 again, again, we, we can go off at tangents. But if I've got a picker, and I, I've been fortunate to shoot on some very wonderful places, and, and I've got the pickers up 20 yards behind me, I've got three dogs sat on the peg. And my attitude now is, one, 
I'm not here to educate you as regards to where you should be standing. And, and two, I use it as a training day so people get very irate that their dogs have sat on the peg and haven't done anything all day. My attitude is I do enough picking up and finding game, so I use it as a training exercise through the pickers-up ignorance to go, right, my dogs are going to sit all day and watch game all around them if I've been lucky enough to shoot anything. And dogs racing all about, snaffling every pheasant a partridge, whether it's shot or not, I've used it as a training exercise. Mm. It's so makes interesting, sense. and it makes me Very think controversial about now. it. Makes me think about <laughs> how we do it here as well, because you know we, you know, we're not a big shoot here, but um, you'll have seen Chris. You know, we've got uh, a few guns with dogs, and we've got a couple of pickers up. They're generally what 150 they, yards back, well, maybe. They were pretty far back, but actually, and your shoot is a casing point of a lot of shoots. In a couple of your drives, they can't be any further back because yeah. of like roads geographical reasons yeah like whatever it might be yeah in which case you've got to do the best you can do and they were usually i remember george they're always on sort of the edge of that aren't they Um, yeah for the most part yeah there are i've got no problem there are places where you go right okay that's the boundary but also now in this day and age do we not owe it one to the game but also from from a public opinion point of view that can we not say to the names look there's going to be a bird to go that way. Do you mind if we do this, that or the other to try and collect what we can do? I think, again, dynamics are changing, opinions changing. We've got to make sure our house is in order. So what you're saying is if you went to your neighbour and said, look, the, the welfare of our game and the, and the way it's picked and the rest of it is our, our utmost importance, would you mind awfully if we step onto your land to make sure that, you know, we're picking out the right ones and the rest of it? It's a very different than can we shoot on your land? You know, it's not, yeah. it's, mm. it's, it's sort of thing that's quite hard to say no to. It's, it's an animal welfare point of view. And and, yeah. and I'm probably now getting to a stage in life where maybe I'm getting a little bit grumpier uh, when I go to places and, and we're picking up and I see people, we're going to go for 11s. Oh, there's a bird gone down there, but it's 11s now. Well, hang on a minute. You keep your 11s. I'm going to go and look for that wounded bird. And, yeah. and we've yeah. got to make sure, and it's very, very important, and I can't stress it enough, my teams know the score, but when you go somewhere new and I'm looking at the moment, I'm looking at two shoots and I've been asked to go in and, and have a look at the picking up and you just go, the reason that you're finding dead birds and wounded birds on the keeper's rounds the day after or carcasses here, this, that and the other is because one, is the picking up team that interested in animal welfare and two, they're not far enough back. Mm. And it sounds to me, Ricky, like there might be an element. Is it, maybe this? Maybe I'm wrong. Is there is there an element of fieldcraft as well when you're doing your picking up? And let's say there's a, a runner or there's a, a bird with a leg down. You've seen it drop in, but you don't know what's happened after that. It, are you able, sort of, in your mind, to look at a, a bit of woodland or whatever and go, "That's where that bird's going to have gone. That that patch of brambles or or that bit of cover is where it's going to want to be." It, have you got that kind of sixth sense to it yeah i think that comes with experience but also i think if you actually look when a keeper's going to drive his birds he isn't going to drive them away from the home pen he's going to drive them to the home pen you might walk them out but you're going to fly them back and where's that pheasant going to make to is it going to try and make it back to the pen is it going to try and make it down that ditch or that cover uh where there is cover so 
yes, you serve your apprenticeship, but if you actually look at ground and you think, where where would you want to be? If you were a pheasant trying to evade capture and you, you're mortally wounded, where are you going to go? And And a little bit of thought and a little bit of sensible positioning you you can be pretty successful that way. Not all times. We don't pick everything, but you can increase your chances. So you're standing far enough back. You wait for a while after the whistle, quite a long time, a lot longer than people might think. Uh, then it's dogs off the leads, sweeping the way in. Is it straightforward and simple from that point, or is there anything else to your method that we've not covered? Yes. Well, well, there's two things to to add to that. One, on certain shoots... Have your pickers up got enough time to let those birds rest because they need to be off to the next drive to get the drives in? So that is a topic maybe that's for another discussion. Is that... Feasible, uh, yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, it's also that ethics point of view. So that that's maybe something for another day. Uh, this, this is me running my picking up teams. Uh, the, the other point to that question is... If I think, and in certain places I go, there's a hell of a lot of game down early part of the season, I will put out an older dog. I will put out an older dog to flush a lot of the unshot stuff. So in theory, uh, when I'm coming in with the younger dogs, it doesn't blow their brains, but they're only going to get success with that dead and wounded. So so if there's a lot of game in front of me, I'll, I'll shepherd quite a bit of it out with an older dog that just knows his job. And and you're moving in towards the pegs, directly straight towards the pegs from the point at which you were standing. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. So we're heading... The, the the point is, again, it's a sweeping motion, so we will come from as far back as we can do, up to and including the pegs. And the, 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 the number of times I hear, oh, well, there was game on the pegs. You're picking up to... And look, we can all miss game. I've got no problem with that. Uh, but if there's lots of dead game left on the pegs the pickers up haven't come in and done the pegs. And I'm not bothered if the gun says, oh, uh, we've picked everything here. The number of times you come into the pegs and there's that little partridge tucked up in the grass or there's the odd pheasant that, that's been missed, uh, It's that's the one that the keeper finds. Perfect. Yeah. Makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Uh, I do you? Do, but it, it, well, I've got a, just one last question on this because um, I think this is one that some people might be thinking, which is... Um, Guns will often want to have a word with a picker-up uh, about a particular bird, or they'll say, I've picked everything, but there's one I couldn't find, or something like that. So does your system allow for that conversation to happen, or is it just sort of yelled across the field sort of thing? Well, again, I think it goes on 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 shoot to shoot. Now, if it's a well-run operation, the team of guns goes, and, and their job is to go and enjoy their day. And they can always relate to the keeper. We've got radios to the keeper from the pickers up, and the keeper might say, right, at such and such a point, there's a gun got a pigeon down or he's got a pheasant across the other side of the river. It's by such and such. So I think communication's the big thing there. What we want the guns to do is go and enjoy their day. And and on one of the examples, one of the shoots that I go on out by Chip in Norton, a keeper two or three years ago gave me a letter that a very irate gun had written to him to say that it was such a, a, a highbrow, prestigious estate, but it was a disgrace that there was no pickers up in place. 
And and my keeper friend gave me the letter. I'm not going to mention any names. He said, you've, you've done a good job, haven't you? And the fact that we, <laughs> the six of us, every time that estate shoots and that gun hadn't seen hiding a hair of us made me just smile go, got that right. <laughs> it's it's an interesting point you asked george because i often want to talk i mean look, i say often i mean because you prick them all all the time when i don't <laughs> yeah basically because i don't hit any bird cleanly thank you george uh when I, when i wound one that is just the lowest part of my day i hate it and yeah. i will make sure i want to go and have a chat with a picker up and i will do whatever i can and i know like obviously if only if it's hit hard right uh First of all, did you see it? The particular one that we might be referring to. Did he did he get it? If not, do you have any idea where it might went? Because like I'll just go out my way to go and find that thing. I just I find yeah. that such a low point. And that's always like making extra effort. And when you say going to enjoy your day, I find I can't enjoy my day unless those conversations have been had. Because it's like, ah, why did yeah. I do that? I think again, it comes down to the caliber, it comes down to the caliber of the shoots. Uh it comes it comes from the top. So it, it, it's the keeper who runs the operation. And one of the things he wants to do, in theory, is go, right, I've got a good picking up team that can actually do my job. It's one less thing for me to worry about. And that, that picking up team wants to be competent. Mm. So so I've got no problem if a gun comes to me and says, Ricky, I've, I've wounded such and such. Often it might be a case of, yeah, I've seen it. Such and such a body's on it. And, and again, honesty we're not going to pick everything. So the number of times yeah. I've come in at lunchtime or I've come in at the end of the day and keep uh, one of the guns said, Ricky, did you manage? No. I said, we went up and down. This, that, oh, we couldn't find it. Okay, thanks for looking. And that's one that's got away. Yeah. Uh, if it makes, it makes total sense. Right. So, Ricky, this is we've covered a lot of ground there. That's really helpful. And there's a lot of interesting stuff that I just didn't. Yeah, I mean, we talk about shooting all the bloody time and this just learning. Lovely. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Um, so the way we finish these podcasts off um, is with our Desert Island shooting segment. Um, it is where the extinction level asteroid is planned to hit tomorrow. Uh, yep. uh, but your affairs are in order. Your loved ones and enemies are reconciled. Your dogs have been fed. And that means a lot of dog food on your part. And your tomatoes have been watered, even though it's winter. Your last day ever yep. begins how what are you going to do where are you going to go i will probably revisit my youth and i would go back to where it all started and and i've been very fortunate to shoot on some wonderful places with some wonderful people but if i go back to where i started uh and it was a stretch of river and at the end of the stretch of river was a sewage bed and if we <laughs> shot a mink or a moor hen, we'd had a good morning. Uh, <laughs> and, and normally we hadn't shot anything, but we'd been out in the countryside with our dogs. And then we ended up maybe shooting a seagull or two off the sewage bed. So <laughs> it might be a great disappointment, but I think I'm going to go back there. And as one keeper used to call them, Accrington pheasants. And just, <laughs> just, just to relive where it all started. I love it. So you've gone back in time. You've got you've got younger. Have you gone back to your age then with your knowledge now or are you going back as you are? I think knowledge is power with dogs and dog training, but does it detract from 
the enjoyment because you're thinking of so many things, whereas as a youngster, something was shot, you went to look for it with your dog. Great. And it was as simple as that. You're actually getting rid of all your knowledge and everything, going back to where it started and doing it again. I love it. Really nice. Not very glamorous, I I know, but it's just... Accrington Pheasant. An Accrington Fez, and that was one of the keeper's terms for the herring gulls and the blackback gulls that, that frequented the sewage bed. And, yeah, great sport. <laughs> Phenomenal. Um, brilliant. Uh, that That's unique. We've it definitely is. not had We've, that one, George. We definitely haven't. Yes, that's very true. <laughs> no wildfowling. <laughs> it's almost wildfowling, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, Ricky, it's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for Gentlemen, coming Gentlemen, thank you ever so much for inviting me, and it's been a pleasure. Cheers, Ricky. Thank you. Right. So before we go, all that remains for me to say is a final reminder that you can get your hands on a pair of the very exclusive Guns on Pegs podcast shooting sock garters by sending us your dilemmas for us to resolve or by sending us your unpopular opinions or sharing your forgotten drives or anything else that takes your fancy. Just drop us an email to pod at gunsonpegs.com and if we read it out in the next episode or any future episodes, we will send you some garters. We will be back in a couple of weeks' time. But until then, thanks very much for listening and goodbye. George, do you reckon anyone's noticed that we missed one of our two-week slots over Christmas? I really hope not. (laughs) (laughs) Shh, don't say anything, I won't.